Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so glad that we are off and running. We're going to do Guide Talk uh, today, the extended version, once again. And then I'm going to have a wonderful conversation with Dr. Kristen Larson, who's a a veterinarian in Arizona. She's got quite a story. Uh, It's going to be a fascinating day. I'm so glad uh, we're going to get started. The Guide Talk panel is uh, a powerhouse once again. We've got uh, on the phone Tiger McLuhan. (coughs) And we've got pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Justin Bowers. That's the group today. So we've got a couple of, one new face, and then uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner and Justin Jepson are out today. So I've replenished, and things are looking good. I'm excited. Guys, how are you? Good, Bill. Doing good, Bill. Good. And, and Tiger, you just got back from a trip to Chicago. That all went well. It all went well, yeah. Good. I'm glad to hear that. And you, yep. helped, you helped your daughter get into her first condominium. That's true, and uh, always more work than you think, And uh, but it was really good, really fun. Uh, you're a good man. So <laughs> let's, let's, uh, let's first of all say hi to Justin, and Justin, just say as to where you came from, and thanks for being here. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, Bill. Um, I'm kind of a, a transplant to the uh, Twin Cities, uh, come from uh, Northern California, moved out here to uh, join the Faith Radio team. Nice. And um, so... That's kind of my background and was in radio, and I'm just excited to be part of the, the mission here at Northwestern and also just Faith Radio. Um, so it's great to be on with you. Awesome. All right, let's start with a little light topic here. Um, this question. <laughs> yeah, Tiger, you're the first to laugh. This, uh, yeah, I, I know this is coming. Yeah, I know. Of course you do. This question came in from uh, Mary, a listener. She said... Um, if it works to discuss the reformed position about perseverance of faith, so many verses deal with those that do not endure to the end but fall or denounce, like Josh Harris. You remember the guy that said, I kissed dating goodbye? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Guys like him. And so many deal with God. And he left the faith. He did. Yeah. And so many deal with God not letting people go, being sealed with the Holy Spirit. Although God is all-knowing, I can't see him forcing continuing faith upon those who don't want him, although he will always invite. I can only believe that there is a dynamic that is unknowable in this where where both are true. Any ideas? Tom, why don't you begin? You have a few thoughts here. You know, here's the deal. You guys slug it out. You you have scriptures to teach. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Then you've got other verses. Beware lest there is in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Mm-hmm. So it looks like you can't fall away. And then there are other verses that warn you, you better not fall away. So what do you do? Well, r- real quick, there's basically two views, I think. Uh, the Calvinist view is that God saved me by his power alone, and he's keeping me saved by his power alone. This is a grace of God. He is the one who keeps me firm to the end. And then more Lutheran view, although I don't know that Luther was here. Luther was kind of predestinarian. But the 
the Lutheran view more is that you can actually be saved, baptized, and walk away from it. Uh, my ten cents is because, the, and, and the Bible does not contradict itself, but it is like two ropes going up into the clouds, and you don't see how. They do tie above the clouds, but below the clouds you just to see two different ropes. I think both are true, and and if somebody holds a different opinion on this, they're not a heretic. I mean, this is not a super clear uh, thing in Scripture. And let me just say one more thing on this. There's a Reformed pastor on TV that I have a lot of respect for, but he preached this once, and he said, well, if your daughter prayed and accepted Christ, even though she's living with her boyfriend, we know she's still saved. And I how do you make that jive with First Corinthians 6, 9 through 11? Fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed. The, uh, the Calvinists that I like are the ones who teach you are eternally secure, but you only know you have that eternal security if you persevere to the end. And if you don't persevere to the end, they will either say you never had it to begin with or you'll come back before your death. So that I can handle. But this one is not... I don't think we should be dogmatic on this one. I was I was smart to start with a softball question. <laughs> well, I agree. And here's one of the problems. I remember one professor saying to me, uh, Tom, when you're saved, you can't take any credit for it. It was all the work of the Lord. But if you go to hell, it's all your fault. And I had to think about that one for a while. What did that actually mean? And essentially, I think what it comes down to is this. You look at the scriptures, and we have a tendency to shape the scriptures and create theology based upon our families. Well, what about my grandmother? Did she go to heaven? What about my kids who have fallen away from the faith? And so we we gravitate toward those passages that say, hey, once you made the commitment, once saved, always saved. Mm -hmm. Or, no, they're on their way to, you know, hell, and they're never going to be able to come back. I think the problem is when we forget a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father and the Son, and we turn it into a legalistic formula, the legalism is what creates all the problems. You know, I don't know about you, Tom. I don't like going to court. I've been to court with a lot of people. And the thing I found out is that, uh, and, and this isn't to put any lawyers down. They can be wonderful people. But they will say about whatever you want said because they're rooting for you. They're working for you. There's the problem. The problem is not a legalistic approach to the scriptures, but a relational approach to the scriptures. And that's what Jesus showed us. You know, he said, you're not going to see the Father. And Philip, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And we don't see the Holy Spirit. We see the effects and the power of the Holy Spirit. But the reality is, do we have that living relationship with Jesus? And it's kind of like with my wife. Why would I turn away from her at the latter end of my life after being married all these years? Why would I not want to be with her? And I think it comes down that way with Jesus, and we don't think of it that way very Mm -hmm. often. And that's where the Calvinists and I get in most of the arguments, because I love them all. uh, But I tell them, keep your legalism about, you know, it's just this end of it, that God's going to take, God saved you no matter what you do, you're going. If he doesn't, you're going to hell. I like the relational, and I see that in the scriptures as well. Just to be fair, though, the good Calvinists don't say that. They would say, you only know you're eternally secure by persevering to the end. Well, you know, that's kind of a cop-out statement. I mean, let's be honest about that. Because when you say that to the end, great. So, you know, Grandma made it because the very last thing she said was, I love Jesus. That's a very, again, it's the opposite end of, well, what happened to my grandson or my grandmother? What we need to do is focus on what is my living relationship with Mm -hmm. Jesus right now? Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in, you know, persevering to the end means persevering in that relationship. That means being repentant. That means being honest. That means acknowledging Jesus is the only one. And so I'm, I personally have come to the realization, I've watched so many people leave Christianity. 
I've watched so many hardcore Christians that I knew that were Pentecostal or Baptist or whatever uh, get burned out and leave. Here's the problem. They really bought into theology, and they were good theologians. They were terrible in relationships, and their relationship with Jesus stunk. Mm. That is, they didn't really want to pursue him so much that they would literally give up everything in their life to get there. But, boy, they wanted to be right. And I lived through a lot of that myself. I was just as guilty, just as dogmatic. And I remember one day the Lord kind of woke me up and said, Tom, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. Then love others and feed my sheep. And I began to take a little different approach. Everything you're saying, Tom, is there in Scripture, and everything I'm saying is there in Scripture. How it all fits, you're right. It's like two ropes or a hundred ropes going up to heaven. Mm -hmm. Now I know in part, then I shall understand fully. Exactly. All right, there's been a pause. (laughs) (laughs) And I I don't even know what that means, and it's my show, so there you go. (laughs) Tiger, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Here's the one thing I will say, Bill, and I appreciate what you're doing here with, yeah. the, with the four of us on a regular basis. I appreciate your willingness to let us be honest. I appreciate your willingness to let us say these things. And, you know, Tom and I are probably, you know, we'll go out to dinner, and we've been good friends a long time. We don't disagree. We disagree on some things, but we don't disagree on the essential thing. Mm-hmm. And the essential thing is submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's there, I don't care who you are. I can love you and I can work with you. But it's when we want to get Jesus out of the picture and make everything else important that I have a hard time with. So thanks, Bill. You're welcome. And, you know, as I'll piggyback on that. If, if somebody believes in the Trinity, if they believe we're saved by grace and by the cross alone and not by our good works, they're my brother or sister. What they believe about eternal security does not determine how close they are to the. I mean, for, uh, John Wesley was very big on, on you know, persevering free. Not persevering. He was big on free will, and uh, Calvin wasn't. But both of them, I believe, are in heaven. So, I'll ask him when I get there. <laughs> All right. Here's a, a line from a guest I had on yesterday, and this really stuck with me. I've been thinking about this, and the guest was Dr. Craig Keener, and he said. If we must feel, that's in quotations, if we must feel God's presence before we believe he is with us, we again reduce God to our ability to grasp him, making him an idol instead of acknowledging him as God. Mm-hmm. And that was the quote. Say it again. <laughs> Please say it if again. We must, Please say it again. Yeah, if we must feel God's presence before we believe he is with us, we again reduce God to our ability to grasp him, making him an idol instead of acknowledging him as God. It's like I, I hear people say, well, I don't feel his presence. Yeah. And that's an ongoing concern that people have. And if, if the qualification is we must feel him in order to grasp him, mm-hmm. we've made him into something that we can control or something that we can have right. some kind of major understanding over everything. And I don't know if that we can't do that. Well, if you think well, about it, go ahead, Tiger. There's Tiger. Well, I, I, I get what he's saying, but there's always been, and I, I find for, for people and myself, too, there, there is a subjective and an objective part of our faith. Obviously, the scriptures are the objective reality, but if you listen to anyone's faith story, there is a subjective piece where I have experienced the, the power of God. I call those sacred memories. When when one person tells their story and they at that moment 
they feel God break through the intellect, break through the confusion, and 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 one experiences, one feels God's presence. I, I don't want to throw that out. I think that's an important part of thing. I'm not getting Pentecostal on you. I'm just saying there's always been this component of both objective and subjective, and and this idea that our faith is 100% objective reality, that it's just a linear uh, checkoff to things I I believe are true and, and I agree on and I state are true, uh, I don't think is humanly experiential for most of us. Now, that's not saying I'm saying at all is experiential, but I would disagree that that, that feeling component it reduces God or tells us that we don't believe in the objective part, too. I think it's a both and. I would agree. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree, too. I mean, coming from a background of um, uh, very emotional um, type um, services and stuff, um, one of the things that I feel, uh, again, feel uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> that, <laughs> that God has kind of shown me and, and, and revealed to me was is that, you know, you can get you can get real emotional um, when you're when you're in a gathering together with other people, um, but then Monday comes around and it's a whole other story. And mm-hmm. so, one of the things that I started <clears throat> saying to myself as a check is, does this pass the Monday test? You know, because we can get hyped up at a ball game. You mm-hmm. know, we can yeah. get hyped up at a concert. You know, so we're emotional beings and. It's not that we don't have those experiences with God, and I think we've all experienced them, but when we base um, the moving of God almost on those things, as I, I think when we can get into a little bit of trouble. That's interesting. All right, Justin, thank you. We're going to take a little break. This is Guy Talk, which means send me your questions or your comments, and I'll read them on the air. You can remain anonymous, or you can let me know who you are, and I'll say your name. Either way, 877 933 Talk is happening. Let us know what question or concern or comment you'd like to make. 877-933-2484. My power panel today is Tiger McLuhan, my longtime friend Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, uh, who are both pastors, and Justin Bauer, who is a friend here from Faith Radio working here. And so we were talking about emotions right before we went to break, and uh, I want to continue that. You know, Bill, you invited me to preach at a group of men that are struggling with addiction issues. I did. And a guy comes up afterwards and he said, you know, I, I went through this program years ago. I got cleaned up. I walked with the Lord and then I eventually fell away from it. Now I'm back through the program. I'm ready to leave and I'm nervous because I don't feel close to God and I'm afraid I'm going to fall when I get out. And 
And I reminded him, if you've ever read the little four spiritual law book, they've got a, a, an engine called God's Word. Following that is a, 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 a cable car called Faith. And the one following that is is um, feelings. Mm-hmm. And the point was the train will run with or without the caboose, the feelings. Mm-hmm. And that we always have to have God's word. We always have to have faith in his word. But the train will run with or without the caboose, the feelings. And I, I told that to him. It's kind of like when you take a lot of 14-year-olds out to Bible camp for a week and they get really close to God and they come home and after a few weeks, uh, maybe I'm not saved because I don't feel it anymore. And I think we we just need to be really uh, clear with people. What saves us is not our feelings. If you don't feel close to God, that doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. My, the Bible says, uh, Acts 16, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It doesn't say believe and feel it all the time. Feelings come and go. They're great. And I, I wouldn't want to do without them either. But my norm in life is not to feel God all day long. I mean, sometimes we're the closest to the Lord when he, when we feel he's, you know, I can't feel him at all. That's called faith. So just, I think we need to be careful on that. Well, it's kind of like parents. You know, when I've seen a lot of people have children in the congregation, and of course that first day, whoa, man, I mean, this is the greatest child ever born on the face of the earth. They're so excited. Two weeks later at 2 a.m. in the morning when that baby doesn't want to sleep, and that baby's got a dirty diaper, and that baby's crying, mom and dad do not feel like, you know, loving that child and taking care of it. But they do it because they have a commitment. And so they don't let the feelings, if their feelings determine it, they'd roll back over and pull mm-hmm. the sheet over their mm-hmm. head. Instead, they go ahead and they take care of that child because they love them. In the same way, you know, we talk about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that we're saved by grace through faith. Grace and faith are both uh, feminine in Greek. And with the noun, which is neuter, what it comes down to is both. both are a gift from the Lord. Right. So our ability to believe is his gift. Whether we exercise that or not, is a different thing. And I learned, like, in my relationship with my wife or my kids, love is a choice. It is, if I depend on my feelings to make love happen, it doesn't happen very consistently. But when I make it a choice, I can do it all the time. All right, here's another um, comment. And can the question is, can um, you explain what they mean in different words than objective and subjective faith? I think, Tiger, you, I think Tiger, Tiger, you that. started that one. Uh, now, well, now, now clean up your mess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> oh, Miss <Ms>. Tiger. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, the objective would be the, what the engine is, the God's Word, the, the, the truth that we, we learn that is true whether I feel it or not. Um, whether I, if I don't feel God being good to me, I, I can read God's word, which is objective, and tells me that God is good. Um, the subjective is is the human piece of that, and how it is that through the course of one's life, we have those sacred memories, those moments where God breaks through, and we have this awareness. People will talk about, I have a sense of peace in the midst of uh, a diagnosis. Uh, the Bible talks about a peace that transcends all understanding. That you know that that goes beyond the objective. It's it's our own personal experience of that reality. It's again, it, like it's been said that that the train will run without the caboose. But part of the human experience is that caboose that occasionally has mm-hmm. these moments of awareness, of peace, of assurance, of strength, of joy, of those feeling words that are in the Bible, yep. 
but they don't drive our faith, right. but they, they are part of our faith story. So that's how I would try to clean and up the mess. I, I think there's a balance. I'm a Lutheran. Lutherans do not get emotional about their faith. And I, I, you know, I used to be, when I was a teenager, I used to be a usher at a racetrack. And every race, when those horses tr- uh, curved the bend, people got up off their feet, jump up and down, and screamed. And it yeah. really used to bother me when we had some people in our church say that they don't like all this contemporary worship, worship and all the uh, emotional stuff. And I'm thinking, listen, if if we can't get up and get excited about Christ periodically, something is wrong. So I don't want to, <laughs> I, I, I want the emotional yeah. stuff. But on the other hand, um, some churches are so doggone emotional. It's like they've got to get a word from the Lord every other minute or they don't know what to do next. And 98% of what God wants us to know, he's already told us in the Bible. So I think right. we can have a balance somewhere in this. I was yeah. really humble yeah. when I was overseas in Bangladesh. And they live, the Christians there are persecuted. It is not an easy place to live. And I remember talking with two of the Christians there because they had seen a family member who had been murdered or martyred is the best way to put it. Uh, They know of families where their daughters have been taken away and they'll never see them again, and you can only imagine what that means. And I said, how does this affect your faith in Jesus? How does this affect your Christian faith with this going on? Don't you expect he should have taken care of you? And and I love their their approach to the Bible. They gave me this funny look, and it was a look like, what's wrong with you? Because they said... It is the truth of his word that we trust in, not the experience of what happens around us because of wickedness and evil. And I tell you, I had to rethink a lot of the ways I was approaching life after hearing them say that. Mm -hmm. And it was a gift from the Lord. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I think uh, I've got another topic, but we're going to we have a hard break here in 90 seconds. So I could sing. What do you got on the feelings? No, you can't say talking about feelings. Come on now, everybody. uh, No, no one wants to sing with you, Tom. I taught at Luther, and I used to the joke I say say Lutherans are the ones that will sing "Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus" with their sitting with their hands in their (laughs) pockets. That's for sure. (laughs) All right, we will uh, take a little break here. I got a bunch of good questions, but I can't get started with such little time, so I'm going to have to just say. There's a song. I can't get started. There's another. That's well, a Frank but I, I don't want to hear that song either. You don't. No. Ouch. <laughs> you take wow. everything so personally. Your emotions are just running wild. Oh, right. I feel so sad. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. When we come back, it might just be me in the studio as I have these guys. If you want to come back? Tell them I'll sing Sinatra when we get back. No, yeah. we're not going to do yeah. that. Oh, but if you not? have a question or a comment, please rescue me. Help me right now. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Do not leave me alone with these men. All right, be right back. <laughs>
Welcome back to the show. Guy Talk's happening. Got a great power panel. And we were talking uh, about perseverance. Another question came in from a listener. I've struggled a lot with accepting salvation and that I'm in the phase called perseverance. But with my lack of confidence in the status, I often question in my mind, hmm, am I just naming it and claiming it so I feel good and think I'm saved, but really I'm not? I think I question this because I know of other people who say they're Christians and they say their family members are saved when their life does not produce the fruits of a Christ-filled life. Any advice on how to not compare to others and my constant questioning? Well, you know, the, the Bible does say examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. So it's good to examine yourself to see if you're really following the Lord, trusting Him alone for your salvation. But don't overdo that or it'll drive you nuts. Is my faith good enough for me to be saved? The answer is no. And there's a story of some guy that got, uh, the ship went down, so he's clinging to this rock in the middle of the ocean. Mm -hmm. They finally rescue him, and somebody says, well, you know, weren't you cold? Didn't you shake? And he said, oh, yes, I shook, but the rock didn't. And and my point is, uh, yes, you have to believe in Christ to be saved. Don't misunderstand what I'm going to say now. But in one sense, your faith doesn't save you. It's what your faith is in that saves you. Mm -hmm. My faith is rocky. Some days it's good. Some days it's really bad and weak. But that doesn't save me. What I'm, what, what the rock is what saves me. The object me. of your faith. That's right. Right. Yeah. So I would, I'd say to this lady, believe in Christ. Yes. Be, you know, look, look, examine yourself, but don't go nuts because your faith will never be what it should be on this side of heaven. The other thing too, I think the devil is very good at finding a weakness in all of us, and the doorway for what she's talking about is her doubts about: Is she doing enough? Does she believe enough? or whatever it may be. One thing I would counsel her to do uh, is to find those five or ten, and I'd be glad to help her if she'd ever be interested. Scripture passages where Jesus unequivocally says, the moment you trust in me, you pass from death to life. You know, you trust in me. You have eternal life. It begins now. The point is, I tell people, print those out, hang them on your wall where you can see them prominently, because your emotions will always drive you one direction from your past, and the devil loves the emotions. Are Mm -hmm. you really sure, Tom? Are you really sure, Justin, you're saved? Are you really good enough? What I always try to help people understand is this. I looked at what Jesus says for my salvation because of who he is. I put my faith in him, just as you said. Then the way I determine, am I living that out, really comes down to how quickly am I willing to repent when When I drop the ball, Mm -hmm. when I really sin. And if I keep justifying my behavior, I've got a problem. Mm -hmm. But my bottom line is, I don't want to disappoint Jesus. I want to honor him. And so I quickly come to the repentance and say, yep, I was wrong. And it's been amazing to me because one of my sons came to me not long ago and said, you know, Dad, I remember when I did something wrong and you blamed me and I got sent to my room and then you came in and said I I was wrong. And, And I remember telling him, I said, Tim, I sinned against you and I sinned against the Lord. Please forgive me. And he said, "Well, it's okay, Dad. It's okay. No, no, no. Please forgive me for Jesus' sake. And he said, that stuck with me all these years, because you know what? It's easy to be sorry, but it's not easy enough to repent when you're wrong. And how many, I asked him, he's got a lot of Christian friends, what are they hearing out of their Christian parents? Do Christian parents ever apologize or repent before mm-hmm. their kids? Mm-hmm. We're not perfect people. We make mistakes. We, our goal is to show them Jesus, not to show them how you know, wonderful we are. Confidence is in Jesus nowhere else. Yeah, and one of the things, in addition to what these guys are saying, the word I heard in that question or that person's observation mm-hmm. was uh, when I compare myself to others. Yeah. That 
that comparison trap will suck the life out of us uh, quicker than anything. I, I have a phrase that says, everything looks better at a distance. Everybody's lawns look good when you drive by. Uh, their families look good. Their Facebook profile is perfect. Everything looks good. But when you get close to people is when our mess starts to show up. And she lives in her mess, compares her reality of messiness with other people's distance look of perfection. And, and you start to compare those two and you would lose every time. And, mm-hmm. and the devil will work on that. And I just I would, I would work with that person about that trap of comparison because we aren't comparing realities. We're comparing perceptions. Good word. And that'll that'll suck the life and suck the faith out of a lot of us because my faith doesn't look nearly as good uh, as someone else's because I don't know their, what they're dealing with. They just look like they're doing great and their families are great and in church everybody's wonderful and, and isn't that terrific? And then I go home and struggle yep. and my life is messy. So that, that word comparison is a big one to me. I think it's very common for people to go to church, they look around, here's all these holy, wonderful Christians, and then mm-hmm. there's me, you know. <laughs> and I think the pastor needs to say, uh, look around, everybody's messed up, everybody mm-hmm. needs Christ, and uh, don't think the guy next to you who's singing louder and better is more holy than you are. Everybody's got crud underneath their sheets, and uh, just, to, just we need to say that. Tell me with that old song, Nothing to the Cross I Bring. Was it, was uh, the, simply to the cross, no, sing it, cross Tom. I cling. Are we going to sing again? No, no, no. Tom's uh, going to sing. Oh, okay. I mean, nothing it might, in be my good, hand, it might be good Nothing this time. in my hand I bring, mm-hmm. simply to, to the, the cross, cross I cling. And you know what? That's a great hymn, but it's not very theologically right. I understand the <laughs> theological writer is saying, I don't bring anything to my salvation. We bring a lot of stuff to Jesus when we come to him. And you know, most people that receive Jesus don't give up their abuse when they were a kid haven't gotten rid of their anger toward their mom or dad that didn't treat them right, haven't dealt honestly with that person that walked out on them when they thought they were going to live their life with them. And so as a result, you know, we keep trying to make Christians perfect people instead of teaching them how to take their baggage. And everybody's got baggage that brings to the cross. Huge baggage. How do we unpack that through our Mm -hmm. life? And Mm -hmm. how do we get rid of that stuff so that we honor Jesus and we wind up becoming more like him? Mm. All right, I'm getting back to emotions. Another Feelings. comment. No, stop singing. Oh. I'm getting getting back to um, another comment from a listener. Different that we don't make being emotional a requirement for salvation, because otherwise, not keeping up that emotion on Monday morning when we crash would be uh, the law, not gospel. Amen. Or saying I don't feel emotional, uh, so God hasn't saved me. John three sixteen has no such st- stipulations. Mm-hmm. Right. Totally agree. Just, just the, the not to fall on off the Lutheran side of the, of the ship. However, it's okay to be emotional about your faith. You're not being a kook by raising your hands when you worship. You know, so that's me getting rid of some of my baggage from <laughs> yeah. being in a Lutheran church I for 29 yeah. years. Yeah. <laughs> Justin, you might have a comment about that. Uh, yeah, I think I think if you come from a background or you've been a part of. Um, any sort of church organization that uh, leans towards, uh, you know, the the more emotional um, um, side of things, um, dancing, rolling on the ground, those sort of things. Um, when you don't feel that in a service, and everyone else is being brought into that, um, it can it can really um, have a negative effect on you. And you think, well, why am I not feeling this right now? You know, mm-hmm. why? 
And, um, you know, that's that's kind of where I came from, where there was a lot of times when we would be in these lengthy revivals where they would be pushing this over and over and over again. And it's just like, no matter how much you worked it up in yourself, you couldn't feel it. Mm. And and so then you start to question, you know, is is there something wrong with me? And um, why am I not feeling this right now? So I, I think you have to be very, very careful with that. It is amazing what we all bring when we come to Jesus mm-hmm. and what we don't seem to get rid of. When I was called to Minneapolis many years ago, the church that called me, very evangelical church, very biblical, did a lot of evangelism work. Uh, so as I'm, I'm entering the, looks like I'm going to be the candidate. They're going to call me. I start getting calls from leadership of the church. And they were asking me, do you believe in playing cards? And I said, I grew up German, so my mom played euchre. I don't know what you mean. Well, we think cards is of the devil. That just leads to, you know, gambling and that. And we just don't believe you should ever do that. And I was amazed. I got three or four phone calls like that. And I was kind of stunned by it. I took the call, and I'm at the church, and I'm enjoying it. And I hadn't seen the whole building. It was a big building. So one day the youth director took me to the youth room, and when he opened the door, guess what was in the youth room? A pool table. Uh-huh. And where I came from in Ohio, uh-huh. oh, that was the devil's playground. So we, we come with it with these different attitudes, and we keep missing the focus. The mm-hmm. focus is what does the Word actually say? Mm-hmm. Right. And we don't do a good job at staying in the Word. We have a tendency mm-hmm. to go out on our emotions or something else. All right. Here's another question. Here's, Tiger, unless you have something to say. I don't have eye contact with you. So uh, here's a question. Um, am I the only one that sometimes I doubt myself when reading Matthew seven twenty-two to 23, and I'll read it right now. On Judgment Day, many will tell me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Go away. The things you did were unauthorized. That is from the New Living Translation. It's the closest mm-hmm. Bible I had here in the studio, and I don't ever use this Bible. Well, so the the it's literally depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a sobering verse. I think there's a reason that's in the Bible to make us look at her. Here's people that were casting out demons and doing miracles, and they aren't saved. Mm-hmm. And that says a couple things. God can use unbelievers to do miracles. It also tells us that the end of the verse is, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, I never knew you. And so I think the question we have to ask periodically, am I a worker of lawlessness? Not do I sin every day in thought, word, and deed, because we all do. But is that my lifestyle? Do I not fight my sin? Do I live in it? There's a difference between sinning and repenting and fighting the good fight of faith and living in sin and siding with sin and no fight going on. So if the person who's asked this question, if they're fighting their sin, they're not winning every battle. uh, But if they're fighting their sin and putting their faith in Christ, they're saved. And yeah, that's a heavy-duty verse, uh, Matthew 7. But um, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. First John 1, 9, both are in the book. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. What well, does it go back to ultimate motivation? I mean, if, if my wife and my anniversary come around, and I have to have the neighbor remind me it's my anniversary, because she talked to my neighbor about the fact that I always forget the anniversary, and then I went out and get her flowers, I don't think that has much power to it. It's another matter when I'm doing this spontaneously because I take the time to remember and I take the time to do it. Growing up, I had a brother 10 years older. He's now deceased. And I idolized Doug, an athlete, wonderful. He spent a lot of time with me. Everything I did as a kid, I wanted to do it to please Doug, even more than my dad. 
my dad worked a lot, so I didn't see him a lot. But I wanted to please Doug more than anything else. I think where this verse helps me is when I ask this question. Am I casting out demons? Am I prophesying in your name so that I honor you, Jesus, so that you're glorified and your name is lifted up? Or am I doing it so people look at me? There's a big difference. I did it for my brother because I idolized him so much. You know, and I think that's what we got to do in our relationship with the Lord. If that isn't in it, for Jesus' sake, then it's meaningless. He doesn't mm-hmm. know us. All right. Any other comments? Otherwise, I will move on. Another that's question. good stuff. It is good stuff. Another question has come in. Do we need to see, acknowledge evil in our lives, sin, before we can receive salvation? Well, here's the problem. Most of us don't see evil in that in our life until we're confronted with salvation. You know, until you get out of the darkness and stand in the light and looking in the mirror at Jesus, most of us don't realize how wicked we can be, how self-centered we can be. It is at that point that, of course, we start the repentance process because we're mortified by who we are. But, you know, realizing I'm wicked doesn't get me to Jesus. What gets me to Jesus is being confronted by Jesus. And I finally bump into him, and then I begin to see myself for who I really am. I think it does make sense to say that Unless you know you're a sinner, the cross makes no sense. If I'm not sinful, why come to Christ? Why Why do I need a Savior to die on the cross if I haven't realized that I need a Savior? Right. So that, that's true. On the other hand, God can save people the way he wants. He can save people that are totally ignorant, and then he brings them to— You know, it's the Holy Spirit that brings us— The Holy Spirit will convict the world regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. If a person comes to know they're a sinner, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and you think of an eight- or nine-year-old person who's coming to faith in Christ in the most beautiful way, and mm-hmm. they don't have a major understanding of Absolutely. sin, but yep. they say, I've sinned against God and mm-hmm. I want forgiveness, but they don't— they don't have a lot on the resume. Right. right. Thief on the cross. <laughs> right. how, much, how much did he understand yeah. as he went into the kingdom? You know? Yeah. So. Yeah, well, I think it's important to to know that it is that, that awareness that I need a savior is is uh, a part of the process. And then and then from there, that sanctification where we begin to do battle with the side of us that recognizes that we're, we're walking away, we're evil, there's sinful nature, it is the battle after that moment. And it's a lifelong battle for all of us. Yeah, I had no idea how sinful I was until I bumped into Jesus. Yeah, but so true. I kept uh, trying to tell you, and you just wouldn't yeah. listen. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. <laughs> all right. We're going to take a little break, but when we come back, uh, we will continue Guide Talk. If you have a question, a comment, or an issue you would like us to chew on, 877-93-FAITH. We'll be right back. talking about salvation and is it i want to open this up because people come from various religious denominations and there may be some formulas in place and that is not necessarily salvation No, Bill. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that was an interesting transition right? yeah yeah dump it out there yeah yeah uh. 
Well, uh, coming from a background where um, salvation was based completely on a formula, and um, and particularly one where you had to complete the steps before you were ultimately saved. I think salvation for me now is such a such an important um, topic because you know um, coming from that background and. It it, de- it develops in you a lot of questions, even if you've if you think you're doing it all, and you've done it all. You still you still find yourself constantly relying on yourself Ooh. because of that. And uh, I think as as God began to deal with me um, a few years ago, as I d- dug deeper into Scripture. And was wrestling with some of these things. Um, he just his word began to reveal in itself to me so deeply um, that my faith was based on a system and not on what he did mm-hmm. on the cross. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think when when that shift happened, it was just like a light bulb came on. I mean, I was I was in a church for thirty thirty years. Um, involved and on staff and very deeply ingrained in who I was. And, you know, it was like the gospel was revealed to me and I thought I had the gospel, (laughs) you know, and it, it, it's just, it's amazing when, when that shift can happen in someone's life. And now I feel like, I mean, it bubbles in me all the time now. For the first time, I, I'm I'm eager and ready at that moment to share it, and I n- I never felt that way, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I I think the, there's something really tempting um, about formulas, uh, whether it's a salvation formula or a sanctification formula or a parenting formula or witnessing formula. We our brain, our human side of us liked that because then it makes it manageable. And then I can evaluate you based on the formula. I can tell whether you're making progress, doing it the right way. But but, but God's way of working has never been in a formula model. It, it, he's so particular. And so one's one witnessing formula that works for me. And, and the problem, again, we compare. I compare how God works in me, and I want to project it onto you and say, this is how God has developed me, so therefore you must follow that formula. You must follow this devotional formula. It has to be this model. It has to be this style of prayer. That has to be this style of witnessing. And the minute the minute I get all my energy is in the formula, I lose sight of the God that's bigger than the formula. So I I think our messiness is bigger than, uh, you know, the comparison. And I think the formula is it can get almost always become a problem. It, it, it begins our own, either our own legalism onto other people or our own, you know, comparison. And we criticize ourselves because we don't match the formula. And, and it just does nothing but suck the life out of our face as far as I've ever experienced. Uh, formulas just don't, don't work. When I was in Dayton, Ohio, I was first congregation. And right next door was a Baptist congregation. And the Baptist pastor and I became pretty good friends. We'd get together and pray and whatever. And I noticed he was kind of down, you know. And Easter had come, and I said, what's the problem? Didn't you have the turnout? Oh, no, we had a great turnout. I said, well, what's going on? He said, I can't figure this out. People are coming to this church and coming to faith in Jesus before I give the invitation. 
And he was kind of stumped by that. Mm-hmm. Why was that happening? You know, and of course, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we had a long talk about that. And for him, that was his tradition, that it didn't happen until there was that real formal invitation and people then formally repented and received Jesus. He could not imagine how that could happen before that time. And I had to come to learn that myself because as a Lutheran, I'm one of these unusual ones. We had all our calls. We talked about personal salvation. We did all of those things. And it was it was powerful to see people coming to faith in Jesus to the point where, and I know many pastors were under this, I would have people coming to church out of the blue, and I'd say, why did you come here? And they'd go, we heard a voice in our car. Or we were sitting one night eating dinner, and we heard a voice say, go to that church, hear the message. Mm-hmm. And they came, and those people became Christians and eventually leaders in the church. So I discovered there's no formula except the name of Jesus. Right. So you just described a very subjective experience of God moving that's not based on the engine of objective reality. They didn't read the Bible and, and get convicted and come to your church. They just heard a voice. And that's, yeah. to me fairly subjective and that's why i gotta believe in both and not either or right i like the uh, acts chapter 10 where peter is preaching to cornelius mm-hmm. in his household while peter is preaching the holy spirit falls on them they all start speaking in tongues and peter says oh well uh who is there to prevent water from getting these people baptized kind of like god didn't do it normally then he just saved them and i get nervous too with people the way you're saved is you pray that sinner's prayer. That's the way you're saved. There's all kinds of ways God gets fish into the boat, and you can't insist on one. Okay, I'm trying to figure out what you mean by that, Tom. I mean, I get it. I mean, God has his yeah. ways of of drawing people into a saving relationship, but there's obviously a point where people have a desire to be forgiven and yep. ask for forgiveness and then to invite Christ or to... Right. I'm just saying there's not a Bible verse that says you have to pray and accept Christ That's true. to be saved. That's true. Now, you do have to accept him. You have to believe in him. But the way... I mean, I, I, I think I asked a friend back in college, how'd you get saved? Well, I just started reading the Bible. Hmm. I don't think he had any moment when he got on his knees and repented and accepted Christ. It was just something that happened. Like... Cornelius's household. Right. The Holy Spirit fell, and Cornelius's household, it never says they all got on their knees and prayed the sinner's prayer. Yeah. They got filled with the Spirit and saved. And so, uh, yeah, you have to believe in Christ uh, to be saved. It's by grace alone, and repentance is involved. Uh, but the way people come to that is can be totally different. I was working on my wife's bike this afternoon because it was she loves to ride the bike, and it was squeaking. turned out to be a brake problem. But you look at the wheel. You've got the hub in the middle. The hub is Jesus and the message of salvation. The spokes are all the different ways we come to Jesus. Mm -hmm. There is no one way that each of those spokes attach. They all come from different directions. And I think that's what happens in people's lives. And that's what I learned over the years, that once I got rid of the formulas and I put the focus on the Word of God and just on Jesus, I was amazed at what began to happen in people's lives. Uh, People would begin to confess things that I never thought they, I didn't even know they did. But they were seeking the cleansing hand of Jesus. And I think that for me was the key. Are they really coming seeking Jesus or are they trying to get the guilt off their back? And they were seeking him. All right. Anybody else? Because we're already coming up on the end of our hour. That's fast. No, we, we, really, uh, we really skimmed the surface today, boys. I know. So, Look, Ti- Tiger, I, I invited you on the show not telling you that we're doing the, the British version of Guy Talk, which is an extended Extended play. We're going till five thirty. You don't, or six thirty if you're out in Hartford. But, um, 
But you don't have to stick around if you can't. But uh, we're going to do uh, the first 30 minutes of the next hour. We're going to continue this. I hope you can stay on if you can. I understand. Otherwise, the power panel that's here will continue. And uh, let us know what questions you have. There's some great questions coming in. And we're going to address this at the top of the next hour. When do you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? That should be interesting. We're going to continue with that all in hour two. If you have questions or a concern or a comment, let me know what it is. 877-933-2484. Tiger McClune is my guest, along with Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Justin Bowser. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.